Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you to check out Stanford Steve and the Bear. They'll get you ready for Final Four Weekend and the Masters from a gambling perspective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts barks every time he hears the word scout because he thinks it means one of his friends is nearby. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I'm actually not sure if people name their dog scout anymore. I feel like growing up, I knew a lot of scouts, champs, and buddies, but you don't, now it's like when people, how people name their children old timey names. I feel like people would think that's too derivative, Mike. No, it's very true. As someone who has a sister who's got a one-year-old bulldog now named Earl, old man names are definitely in. Exactly. That's Mike Golick Jr., who hasn't been on the show in a really long time because um, he hates me. No, because he tapes a radio show uh, every day from 4 to 7 Eastern. Shanae and Golick Jr., check it out on ESPN radio did i get all those details right <laughs> i am blown away that mina kimes no one who has worked at this company as long as mina knows less about the time it shows are on so yeah you nailed all that wow it's really like a blind spot for me it's like um people are always like you know what what are your flaws or what do you struggle with or what do you find challenging i don't know why i say people are always like it's not like every, i walk down the street and people ask me what are your flaws but when people ask me that usually my go-to is um dancing and coordination but i realize i also struggle with time like i'm not a late person but time zones and things scheduling and time zones do suck though and they're largely useless outside of the farming community at this point like i understand why they started but at this point all they serve to do is make people like us trying to operate east and west coast lives a living hell so did you say outside of the farming community not yeah wasn't that why they did daylight savings to begin with not not a phrase i expected to hear on this show um yeah, I you might be right. You might be right. Well, speaking of timelines, uh, we're going to talk about a few teams that have taken a definitive view on on their timelines and uh, when and how they want to compete. I don't know. I'm just rolling with the segue. Um, we're really we're going to spend the entire podcast basically talking about the shockwaves of this major San Francisco trade. I was planning on getting into draft coverage early, but then uh, this trade shocked the NFL world. On Friday, it was Friday, right? A yeah, Friday, yeah, it was, blew my mind. Um, and it's it's a great trade because it has well, there's two trades. The, there are ramifications for multiple teams, not just the parties involved. So, um, first half of this podcast, Mike, I was thinking you and I could talk about San Francisco from their perspective, what it meant for them to trade up from pick twelve to pick three, sending two future, not this year, first rounders. Um, well, obviously, because they're sending their 12th pick to Miami and a third, and they're getting the third pick. Uh, and so we're also going to talk about kind of what that means for the quarterback draft writ large and some of the language we're hearing out of San Francisco and all the teams that need quarterbacks. And then the second half, I want to talk to you about Miami and Philadelphia, who then engaged in a subsequent trade. These trades happen like within a span. It was like the aftershocks of an earthquake. Um, so I want to talk about that as well. But I feel like we should start with San Francisco um, and, and just so I summarize the trade for those who forgot, basically San Francisco moves up to pick three, no secret. They want a quarterback today. You and I are taping on Monday. They go to Mac Jones's or the tomorrow they're going to Mac Jones's pro day, but they yep. told everyone they had a press conference where they said, we're going to the pro day. They also said, we're keeping Jimmy Garoppolo. It, there's a lot to unpack here, but before we get to the quarterbacks, let's just start with the trade. Are you surprised 
that the Niners decided, okay, this is it. We are, this is our year to make our big move for one of these quarterbacks. Uh, I was a bit. Now, I guess this quarterback class that we're going to talk about is one that's been pretty highly regarded and, and is considered pretty rich at the top. And so if you are going to take a shot, maybe this says about what they think about the next class coming up or anything like that. I'm not sure, but I think so much of this offseason was focused on what Jimmy Garoppolo's future like. And for me, looking at a team like San Francisco, who went healthy, because we know that was the story on them during last year with all the injury, seems like a team that was ripe for a huge bounce back and should be Super Bowl contenders. I just figured that lent itself to shooting for a veteran quarterback somewhere and trying to find someone who's going to fill that you know role for Jimmy Garoppolo in the here and now and not a rookie who is going to present a lot more volatility on that end, which I guess makes the subsequent announcement that Jimmy Garoppolo, barring some massive trade offer, is still planning on them. You know, they're still planning on him being in a Niners uniform this year, maybe partially for that reason. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the veteran. That's why I thought they would be like heavy in the Stafford sweepstakes. Um, they've been linked, of course, to Deshaun Watson a bunch. Right now, it appears that no team will be, at least in the present tense, will be trading for Deshaun Watson as he faces a growing number of sexual assault and harassment allegations and lawsuits. Um, and, and rightfully so, teams you know should not be making moves, just my opinion. Um, the Stafford thing, I think, though, it's notable because there's like, so that happened in the division. NFC West is just aggressive as hell, by the way. Like setting aside mm-hmm. you know how good the teams are, they're also very aggressive GMing teams that like do crazy things and make big trades. And I think it's very like notable that this comes on the heels of that in some ways because, um, you know, like Shanahan and McVay are so often linked together. These two young, brilliant play callers who can take any quarterback and make him look decent, right? And with the Rams, you saw a team, you saw a coach, you read about a coach, our, our colleague Lindsay Theory had a great piece, who got tired of it, who was like, you know what? I, I, after years of telling us that Jared Goff was not a system quarterback and that we were wrong, <laughs> was like, yeah, no, I'm done. I, I'm, I am out. I want, I want, I want a, a big boy quarterback. And this kind of feels similar. Now, with San Francisco, there's the added layer of um, Jimmy Garoppolo having all these injuries, but I think it does feel like them saying, we want to upgrade, we want to go younger. And and I think this is notable. Not only do we think we might not see what this kind of draft again, right, where arguably there's five guys who every, now people are all shoving to the very top, um, but also we might not be in that position again. And, and, I, and I said this in some, some people, I hate that's such a straw man. People pointed out, well, they have been in this position the last two years. Yeah, but they've had these like, injuries that have landed them where they got Nick Bosa and then this in this year, but they went six and 10 with half of their damn defense hurt and Jimmy Garoppolo out. Like this is a good football team with very good coaches. Like it's reasonable that they think, Hey, we might not have this shot again, this ammunition. So let's go get it while we can. Yeah. And I think the, the, the other interesting part that then works on that go get it mentality is being willing to do that at three, because we know, especially in this year's draft, one and two are assumed quarterbacks. And so 
this, the, uh, the, I think there are two reads here. One is that they had a very clear quarterback in mind understanding those parameters. And maybe they made calls to the Jets. I forget what the reporting on that looked like. But maybe they, maybe they didn't. Maybe they just assumed the Jets aren't going to move off that spot. And so they go next down on the list and they move up to three, which either says – They've got a quarterback outside of what we assume Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson at one and two that they really love or, and this to me is the Kyle Shanahan effect that is more likely, they're pretty comfortable in the range of Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields with whatever is left of that group in whatever order. And I think part of that is because you said you've got Kyle Shanahan who is so confident in his play calling ability that I'm sure he sees parts of all of them that he could work with should things for some reason get haywire come draft night. Well, that brings us to the big question of who, (laughs) who is it for? (laughs) And um, there's a lot of smoke around this, right? Like, first of all, but to to your point, by the way, about trading for three, like it's, I've seen, it's been pointed out, like teams have made these kinds of trades to go up and get a quarterback, even at three, like Sam Darnold, for example, was the third overall pick. Like, and that wasn't a trade of the size, but it's not, unprecedented what would be unprecedented is for a team to trade three first round picks for the third quarterback taken not the third pick but the third quarterback taken which again speaks to this class like because I don't think anyone disputes at this point the Jets are taking a quarterback I'd be shocked if they don't take Zach Wilson like at this point that seems to be written in stone so whether it's Lance whether it's Jones whether it's Fields um, they're probably gonna be the third quarterback off the board and it's Again, wild that that's this class that a team is trading that much for the third option. So then the question, okay, who is it? A month ago, everybody would have said Justin Fields, maybe even like two weeks ago. Uh, but it feels as though the ground is shifting very rapidly. There's been, I mean, as I just mentioned, they're going to Mac Jones Pro Day instead of Fields. I think they're asking him for a second one or something. I don't want to be too weird about that, but... There's a lot linking Jones to the Niners right now, which again, like a month ago, Mike, like we were asking, is 12 too rich for like, so the, when the Niners were picking at 12, because so I had a lot of conversations with Dan Orlovsky, our friend about Mac Jones and the San Francisco 49ers offense. And I agreed with Dan where I, I, I said, yeah, this makes sense. Like he does. I get it. I've seen, you know, like, Kirk Cousins, um, Matt Ryan is Kyle, the, Kyle has a type. Yes, Kyle has a type. Yes, that's that's a great <laughs> way to put it. And um, yeah, and I get it. But we were like, well, is 12 kind of rich for Mac Jones? Now we're not just talking about three. We're talking about three and all those firsts. Like, wow. I mean, is it? So this is the question I want to ask you. Is it? Is it wrongheaded to, on one hand, say, I get it, Mac Jones, the 49ers make sense, but also feel that while that may be true, this haul is a lot for Mac Jones. I would agree with that latter point. So I heard Chris Canty make this point on uh, the morning show today that if you're going to unload this kind of haul and you're going to do it with the backstop of hey, we're going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo around and maybe let him start this thing off. Who knows how this is going to look at the beginning and all of this. 
you back up this kind of haul for the upside plays in here. Yeah. And Matt Jones is a guy that, yeah, only one year as a starter, but we know physically he's got a ceiling. Like this is not a guy with a tool shed that is rich and is full in the ways that you could argue Justin Fields absolutely presents. That you could look at a very young Trey Lance who is really tapping in to the tip of the iceberg could be worth in that spot. And so I think that portion of it, you're right. The price tag needs to be underlined every time we have this conversation because you don't put that kind of haul in in this spot. Field Yates, our friend, says it all the time. We're drafting traits, not production in this spot. Yeah, Mac Jones was awesome last year, but he doesn't have a lot of traits in the modern NFL that you can link to a ton of upside worth all this capital. And that's, I think, worth diving into. Like, okay, why? So I, you know, I think I, I mentioned this on our show today on NFL. Like, if you really look at the last 10 years of drafts, how many immobile, immobile, such a mean, like, I feel like I'm talking about these guys, like they're the ship in the Suez Canal, like they can move. But, <laughs> but um, when I say immobile, I'm not ta- like Joe Burrow is mobile. Justin Herbert is mobile. Um, you know, Mahomes, Watson, Trubisky, I, I mean, Trubisky, the bad case, but I'm just saying like, there, there's a lot of mobile quarterbacks taken, but like, who was the last truly great traditional pocket passer who was drafted in the NFL. Like, so you go Derek Carr and I'm not saying he's great. I'm just trying to think of good guys, not great guys. Yeah. Good guys. We're setting the bar pretty low in this spot because you're right. Even the ones that you'd think, because for a lot of people, there was always this like, you know, I, I think a lot of that was like racially tinged, like dual threat quarterback used to mean a different thing. But like, even if you were going to use that old thing, like Andrew Luck, go all the way back to him. That yeah. guy wasn't a pocket mobile. like quarterback. That He's guy was mobile. extremely gifted yeah. and so, mobile. So yeah, you got to keep searching. I, I'm thinking I like no car cousins. Um, I I feel like you have to go all the way back to Matt Stafford, frankly. Who, who yeah. can move actually, but I, I would say I would, I think I'd comfortably put him in that category. Goff was great for like a year, two years. Um, but it's very rare. And then, the, okay. So then we get to the question, well, why, why is this happening? Right? Like why? And to me, a lot of it has to do with not only like how defense offenses have evolved to like absorb some of the things that make college offenses great, but also defenses. Like what I was watching, Dan was playing some tape of Mac Jones today and he looked awesome, you know, perfect ball threw it with anticipation, hit the receiver in stride from a clean pocket. And then I was like, how many of these clips have we seen where the play breaks down where the defense, you know, with a, with a, where a four man pass rush gets to him. Like you just don't, you really don't. And I think that's why there's so much nerves about taking this kind of quarterback right now, because we've seen so many of those types of quarterbacks hit that wall. I think especially now San Fran's interesting in this spot for one reason fit wise is because usually what I associate with a lot of that, and this is the reason that we saw mobile quarterbacks trickle up from high school into college is because what's the easiest way to fix most of your ills, put the best athlete or one of the best athletes on your quarterback to overcome not being able to recruit as many offensive linemen as you'd like. And so that's the one thing you can look at San Fran and at least say, you're falling into a situation where 
traditionally when we get these teams up in the top end of the draft, they're not spots that have great protection. And so usually it's going to look more like Joe Burrow in Cincinnati last year, where we need you to kind of you know erase and account for some of these mistakes for us. And more NFL offenses have started borrowing from colleges mm-hmm. and building that in schematically in a way that says, all right, now we're going to design these plays understanding our quarterback can at times account for one the way we used to do with a running back in any normal blocking scheme. Like you'd you know, have your five guys, six or the tight end up front. We'd say, hey, the seventh guy belongs to the running back. He's got to make one miss. In some ways, you can do that and use the quarterback to toy with the numbers game certain ways with quarterbacks now that you account for in there. With Mac Jones and with San Fran in that spot, you may not get that advantage, but at the very least, this is a team that can offer you more protection for a guy that's not going to give you those one-man miss wins the way Joe Burrow and some of these yeah. guys are forced into early on. Right, and I think like Burrow is such a great example too where it's like it's not like you, you have to, I don't know, run like – zone read with him it's more like what happens when the free rusher gets you know like joe burrow in fact his movement is i mean you know he can scoot a little bit but so much of the the movement skills you saw in college and then you continue to see in the nfl were him escaping muddied pockets or just stepping up and finding like you know his awareness of space and his ability to manipulate it and again that is the question mark here i also i guess i find it puzzling because as you said, they're they're saying we're going to keep Jimmy, and while normally I would say that's ridiculous, um, they I feel like if they wanted to get rid of Jimmy, they probably would have done it already when they could have taken advantage of the cap space. I mean, sure they could sign uh, get a Fred Warner deal done and front load it, but I do think there's a possibility that they keep him, and then then it it would be weird. Like, why do you keep Jimmy if you're drafting Mac Jones? It makes sense for the Trey Lance plan, but it makes less sense to me for a Jones plan. Yeah, you're you're bringing Jones in, and that that would be it. Like, it feels short-sighted, right, the Mac Jones portion of it? Because, yeah, maybe you could get away with him coming in and being able to operate that offense for all the reasons that you mentioned, Dan and others have outlined in that spot. But if this is about... Kyle wanting to set himself up long term and say, all right, let me get my quarterback in here and develop this thing over time, then yeah, that would fit much more with the Jimmy Garoppolo here and now situation. I do think like all of that said, if it is Mac, like he'll probably look good in that offense. Um, but I, you know, I think that's, that's the universal solvent quarterback yeah, offense right. though, right? Like we kind of like play and say, yeah, well, you know, so-and-so would look here. And after a while yeah. I was like, yeah, it feels like everyone would look good in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Like, <laughs> Mac, Mac himself today, he was like, yeah, I watch offense. Very, I'd love to play in that. I was like, no shit. Like, I bet you would. <laughs> I would. I'd love to play in that offense. Um, okay, well, but back to Jimmy for a second. Um, I do think, like, a team would probably, like, at this point, I don't know. You could just wait for them to cut him. But I guess if they're keeping him, that's not an option. If you Let's say you're... New England. So the teams, the the quarterback desperate teams are New England, Chicago, potentially Denver, Washington, Carolina, although I don't think they fit into this framework. I think it, it would be New England or Chicago. Would you consider trading a third or a fourth for Jimmy? 
Uh, well, first off, Chicago has their QB1, so I don't know why we're having this conversation. <laughs> quite frankly, yeah. that seems offensive to the graphics department and Andy Dalton. But You're right. uh, yeah, I would I would probably, especially, especially to me if I'm the Patriots, I think they're one that they've showed. Like, all right, like a third-round pick relative to the prices we've been dealing out for stuff. Like, that's small potatoes to try and better ourselves in any, like, minimal way in this spot. And that would have the added bonus of Bill being able to bring him back and say – all right, you know what? Even if he's not our long-term guy, if we can make him look kind of good this year in an offense that we just stacked with new pieces, like, man, we're going to look that much more appetizing to the next free agent quarterback we want to go after or however they want to retool this. Like, I think it's it's very yeah. much about creating a fertile-looking landing spot there, and Jimmy Garoppolo and any modicum of success at a place that already likes him would make a ton of sense for that price. I agree. I also think after you traded a fourth for Nick Foles, like you can't trade another pick, mid round <laughs> pick for like a, you know, like average to above average. I mean, I think Jimmy's better than Nick Foles. I'll say that, but I'm just, and probably better than Andy Dalton, but like, is he that much better, you know? And, and also you're trading for a $24 million contract, which I should have mentioned at the very top. Um, I guess you could restructure it, but it just doesn't, I don't know. I, I don't think at this point it doesn't make sense for any team, but potentially New England, and even that, I have questions. I, I don't know. It does seem really plausible that San Francisco might keep him. I just, I don't know. Well, well anyways, so like the other favor that the Niners did for us is they made the draft. They while they didn't clarify who they're taking, they did clarify picks one, two, and three will be quarterbacks. Um, so that sends further tremors throughout the rest of the draft. Like I said, we're going to talk about my the Miami and the Eagles side of it later, but. Um, after that third pick, you've got Atlanta at four, who people still think might be in the quarterback running, even though they restructured Matt Ryan's contract, which is what perplexes me about the continued belief and reporting from people that they're interested in quarterbacks like a Lance or a Fields, because after restructuring Matt's contract, it would be very, very expensive for them to move on from Matt, not after this season, but after next season. So if you are drafting a Lance or a Fields or a Jones, I guess, um, it you'd it, you would have to eat a ton of money to move on from Matt Ryan next year. I just think that's it's weird, but I, I guess you can spread the money out a little bit. So you got Atlanta at four, Cincy at five, obviously not a quarterback. Now Miami at six, not a quarterback, and then you get to Detroit, Carolina, Denver, the quarterback triangle. So how do you like? What, how do you think it's like, I mean, I'm not asking you to predict, but like what might happen? And like, if you were a team in that quarterback triangle, would you consider trading up? I think so. And I think, I mean, listen, I think I would have to imagine a large part of that reporting around Atlanta would have to do with making that pick look as appetizing as possible for anyone in yes. that triangle, because getting that haul there, it like, it seems like the pretty obvious and smart play for Atlanta. Like I've said about the jets all along, they should let everyone know that Sam Darnold is open for business in that spot and try and really make it seem like, yeah, you know, we're going for a quarterback at two play it all close to the vest, but I would say in that spot, relative to what we've seen so far, this seems like Carolina, right? Like you've got an aggressive owner already. You've got a team that's made it very clear this offseason that they've been trying to stack assets and resources, create some space, and move on from Teddy Bridgewater. Like that's not going to be long for this world. But the team that should the most is Denver. Like I, I, I'm – I'm very confused about the lack of urgency around there with yeah. Drew Locke, who is still unproven through this time now as you know, as we're recording this, and an offense that everywhere else, like 
you got a coach and an O-line coach that managed to get Garrett Bowles that better in a hurry. Your protection's going to be there. Your defense is getting old quick now that you decided to bring Von Miller back in all of this. And you've got all those weapons there. I don't know why Denver hasn't been pushing the pedal more than a lot of these other teams because it seems like if they could grab one of these guys in that spot, all of a sudden now the draft has not been kind to them. But just in general, their strategy has been a little confusing. Yeah, Mike Montek with a hat tip to the changing holding rules in the NFL uh, for, for our friend Garrett Bowles. But yeah, I, I think that's it. Yeah, I don't think Denver, uh, pardon me, Detroit's going to take a quarterback. I think just like where they are in their rebuilding process, they're going to ride it out with Goff, try to get the best possible player. Shoot, I mean, again, we're going to talk about six, five, six, seven, or whatever, but there's some really nice players available there. Um, but I think Carolina and Denver got to both be looking at each other and looking at Atlanta and like being like, all right, which one of us is gonna is gonna do this? Because yeah. they should both draft a quarterback, and they should, and Atlanta should pit them against each other if they're it, as as financially it suggests they are not taking a quarterback there. They should be looking at those two teams and saying, you know, who, who what you got? Because um, if they both like Trey Lance or Fields, you know, that's that's nice business to be done. I think I mentioned today on uh, our show, like we were talking about Darnold, the Darnold trade. And I, I thought I said, Chicago should consider trading for him. And also Denver. I didn't think Carolina because to me, I thought Carolina where they are in their timeline, uh, a rookie makes more sense. Right. And they have Bridgewater. Whereas with like Denver, it's like, just bring in a dude to compete with Locke. See, and God, what a spot for Darnold. Like, Okay. Oh my God. This whole time we've been saying like, oh, he's in the worst position ever, and he's shown flashes of greatness. If you get him to Denver, and he can beat Drew Locke, like that is a ripe opportunity. Absolutely, and because you mentioned the timeline there, it allows you to make those decisions pretty quick, which you should be doing anyway because of the nature of the rest of that team and the way it's set up. Do you think there's any chance that Fields or Lance or Jones? drops to New England at 15. Man, I mean the way the t- the way the conversations all going and we know the draft is insane. Like it'll end up being the run of four quarterbacks and five in the top 9, the way like Mel yeah. and them mocked that I said. There's no way it actually happens and now looks increasingly more likely every day, but I've been amazed, Mina, and and you can, I think, speak to this as well as anyone because we've seen whether it's been on the morning shows, whether it's been on NFL Live and you guys with Dan, like we've seen every quarterback kind of get their day in the news cycle where (laughs) we go through and they dominate the conversation and we break down pros and cons and then you see them kind of get this little bump in the way everyone you know views them. It feels like except for Justin Fields, who we were not that long ago lapping up praise on after that gutty performance against Clemson, one of the better quarterback games you'll ever see for a guy that was playing with basically a you know broken abdomen. And yet it seems like he's the one that's kind of flapping in the wind right now. So if you had to have me pick based on what we're hearing currently, Justin Fields seems like he might be left, you know, left kind of standing around here because you can go upside in youth for Trey Lance and all the physical gifts and the great things about his processing. Mm. And for whatever reason, Justin Fields seems to be the one that maybe it's the Ohio State quarterback thing that's following and sticking on people a little more than it should in this spot. I don't have the answers, but he seems like the odd man out right now. If Justin Fields falls to Bill Belichick, I'm suing the oh NFL. I, 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 what the heck, man? We were rooting for you. 
I, w- I would be happy for him. But I mean, anyways. All right. Let's take a quick break and then talk about the Miami Philly side of all this. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. So Mike, we recapped what San Francisco did on the other side of that. Miami, okay, this all happened really fast. So they uh, traded them three for 12. And then, and, and in that process, uh, they got, right, let me just get, I, I want to make sure I don't mess this all up because it was very confusing. So, so they get the uh, two firsts and the third. Uh, they first in 2022 and 2023, and then the third is in 2022. Then, and this is notable, they traded their own 2022 first to Philly to move back up to six. So what this tells me from the dolphin side of things is while it, it, first of all, we should say that the most important thing is this is them saying to a tongue we believe in you. We're giving you a shot. We're not taking quarterback this year, by the way, we do have now we have picks. So next year, if we're still interested in it, we've created a nice little net for ourselves, but it also says we like a guy. At six, and we are like that is a they're trading a first rounder to move from 12 to six. Now, they believe that they are a better football team than San Francisco because they chose, or maybe Philadelphia believes that and demanded or whatever, but they're trading um, their own first rounder. But they must really like someone at pick number six. Well, do you think it's someone or do you think it's just about what's in that range? Because I can look at and justify like five dudes in that spot yes. that 
you're in range with against, you know, it's it's basically the four main weapons in this draft and Panay, right? Like that's what you're trying to stay within range of. Because I think any of them instantly make your football team better in the way that yeah. they're prioritizing with that move. I think so. Yeah. Like I think there's a really big difference between six and 12. Whereas I think if it was like six and nine, maybe less so. Because I, I think you're right. Like you're looking at Panay. So this is like from the, I shouldn't say six, it's from like five through, right? Because Cincinnati used yep. that five pick. So, and everyone assumes they're going to take Sewell, but now there's like, I think Mel mocked Pitts to them in his last draft. So there's a little bit of, which by the way, I don't hate. I know that everyone's been assuming forever that Panay is going to go there, but they do have tackles. And I think Kyle Pitts is amazing. So you got Sewell, Kyle Pitts, who's the Florida tight end, who's insane. I'm going to talk about all the prospects in the coming weeks. Jamar Chase who has been forever mocked to the Eagles at six, um, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, the Bama wide receivers. So that's five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, am I leaving anyone obvious out? I guess like Micah Parsons been in the mix there. Yeah, which I mean, you could technically see, but I mean, I, I don't know if at this point Miami, like again, if you're banking yes. on Tua, we all expect it to be some sort of offensive help. So Right, so it's a tackle, I guess... I don't think they would take Rashawn Slater at six if. No, I, I I think, again, in the interest of like upside and like Miami's timeline, we know got sped up. But man, like after seeing what like Tristan Wirfs did last year, who, again, like yeah. gifts wise is the only one that's really close to what Panay's bringing to the table. I, I think you can safely assume that Panay is going to be the guy. I know there were a bunch of people and like people I trust, like Lance Zerline and a bunch of these guys mm -hmm. who know their O-line stuff down to the nails backing Rashawn Slater, who is very good, but Rashawn is polish. Rashawn is strength. Rashawn is all of that. Panay Sewell are some of the freakiest athletic gifts I've ever seen, and a guy that, like, in real time, you watched last year figure shit out at a very, very scary pace. Like, he won the Outland when he was 19. That's Somebody, not okay. I forget how young he is. Somebody posted a clip of him today saying he it was like a tackle, like a linebacker. It's so funny. Um, also, <laughs> yeah, I love the, the way you, yeah, yeah. I love the way you said Rashawn Slater is polished. Rashawn Slater is strength. It was like, he is beauty. He is grace. Um, just the, the way you <laughs> phrased that was very funny. Um, how do you like, let, let's just kind of step back for a second. I kind of dove, dove right into it. Like, do you like this strategy from Miami? The, the trade down, the trade back up. The fact that they they still got a ton of draft capital going into next season, the fact that they're giving two of the shot, I, I don't think that was really ever in doubt. But you know, there was it was possible they could have done the the Arizona thing. Like, how do you feel overall about Miami's moves? Uh, I, I feel good because that you know certainly sends a clear message in this spot, right? And we kind of we saw Kyle Shanahan joke about today when you trade up at three, you don't really have to be as like you know you know close to the vest on anything anymore. You can be a little more overt about this. This allows Miami to play with the cards up a little bit more and have everyone on the same page with this plan, which is good because you figured out last year and part of the weird discord with all of us consuming Dolphins football was your team was really good. And then you benched the starting quarterback in favor of the rookie in the middle of the season, 
with a team that ended up being like a borderline playoff caliber group. We know largely led by the defense, especially yeah. once Tua took over in that spot. But the timeline got sped up. Like that was the biggest takeaway from Miami last year was they're ahead of schedule. And so I think starting to operate like that and saying, all right, you know, instead of waiting till year three, like we see so many teams do with these quarterbacks where you finally get, you know, Stephon Diggs in Buffalo and you finally get all these different weapons around certain guys, why don't we go ahead and just try and, you know, start doing this now and get him some good stuff in his first full season as a starter? So I think kind of increasing the pressure on the mm-hmm. gas was the right move in response to last year. I think like my, so one question I would have about Miami and the, and the construction on the, offense and sort of this uh I want to say like testing period or, or or I don't know evaluation period rather for Tua is okay we're going out he's got a potentially a really nice group of skill players to work with they went out and paid Will Fuller um Devontae Parker's there Preston Williams comes back Mike Jasicki is there I forget didn't they sign a running back am I wrong I feel like they signed someone. They were rumored to sign Chris Carson, and then he came back to Seattle. In any case, um, so like as far as weapons go, that's nice. But as you and I have discussed, the offensive line is not perfect, um, and so I like I, I I do think it'll help them evaluate him to a. Um, they do have the 18th pick that they could use to grab a tackle because this draft is so tackle rich. So, God, they just have so many picks. It kind of – and then they've got these, like, two offensive coordinators, which is weird. They're, like, co-coordinators, George Godsey and Eric Studisville. Studisville. Um, I don't know. I think think it's, like, in all in concert. I, like, like all of the moves, but – I do question it's like, okay, are we now will we know who Tua is and is he like the quarterback there? Yeah, it, it is interesting. And even you're right for that reason, kind of looking at the offensive line up front, because you could make the argument like, man, all right, it was year one for Austin Jackson, who was a first round pick last year, albeit one of the later yeah. tackles in another draft that had a bunch of them go up early there. And then you had Hunt, who was a second round pick on the other side. So you could argue in favor of waiting later and drafting on the interior or drafting one of those later guys and maybe saying, man, like, let's give him two tight ends, even though Kyle Pitts kind of transcends that sort of Mm. label if he's still there. Like, I I, I don't – is is your argument then that because of all of that and the setup that this is too rich for your taste or that it would be going for weapon as opposed to protection in that spot? God, I'd be really tempted to take Kyle Pitts if I was them. I mean, the combination of him and just like would be insane, too. I think with Tua, like, also, as much as, again, we, we talked a little bit about the offensive line, but, like, what you want to see out of him in year two is, I would say, more aggression, first and foremost. Yep. And so, again, that cuts to the playmakers. Like, if you have, whether it's a Pitts or a Chase, combined with all those other weapons I mentioned, um... Like, if you have skill players who give your quarterback a chance on every play, I just think you can cultivate good habits in your quarterback, even if the. And Tua does have like a quick release. Um, He just seemed tentative at times in year one. I think that's what you want to get past if you're Miami. 
Yep, which and and then it, it can kind of come down to what style there because yeah, you bring Will Fuller over, but we obviously know injury is a pretty substantial yep. part of his history there. And so if you're looking for that consistent deep threat, because you've got on that offense already, like Devontae Parker's your climb the ladder guy. Um, you know, you've got uh you mentioned Gasecki too, who's you know, a freak athlete in his own right in the middle of the field, but maybe you prioritize speed in that spot just to have a backup in case the Will Fuller thing doesn't turn out perfect and he isn't healthy all the time. But that that could be the interesting debate there is if you're gonna go receiver, then what style is best for Tua in that spot who we know at Alabama had a little bit of everything, but that offense was super RPO heavy when he was there. He did a great job throwing in breaking stuff into tight windows. Like he was confident with those balls. And so do you give him another person that can operate in that range? Or do you try and force, like you said, that development deep, which would probably be best long term? So on the other side of that trade, the second trade, it's funny. So as I said, like the Dolphins are doing this because they like guys slash guys. Philly, it's not exactly the other side of that. It's not them saying we don't like them. It's them saying, hey, we got a lot of rebuilding to do. And I am of two minds on this. On one hand, like what they did moving from six to 12 and getting another first in the process is just good GMing. Like that's good business. On the other hand, when you're a team that's had as many misses as they've had, like uh, as as far as the wide receivers go, I have to think there's probably some nerves in that fan base to watch them miss out on that top group of receivers slash Kyle Pitts. Oh, absolutely. And like, I mean, also in addition to that, as soon as I saw this move, I said, all right, all that going all in on Jalen Hurts stuff kind of became a little bit more of an uphill battle, right? Like if I'm Jalen Hurts and I'm hearing that I'm going to be the focal point of this offseason and then they make a move that, like you said, is smart but very much a futures play in a lot of ways, I'm a little leery that he's going to get the best crack at this. And based on what you said, there is so much that needs to be done around here that it would – I, I think it would be smart for them to prioritize the long-term future as opposed to what we heard espoused from uh, Jeffrey Lurie, their owner, that they wanted to go all in on him as the guy now. Like, this isn't an all-in now move, and it shouldn't be. Yeah, so picking at 12, they might not take a skill player. They would not be wrong. I mean, depend. it all depends on who's available. But, like, you're looking at that's probably around where the run on cornerbacks is going to happen, I think, um, between your Patrick Sertan, the second. Why do people decide to go for the second versus a junior? You're a junior. So I have heard, and it was explained to me once, that if you are the same name as your father, you're a junior. But if you are the same name as a grandparent, so it skips a generation, then you become the second. Huh. I didn't even think about that. It's, But... I always had that question. Now, I could be wrong on that, but that was what I internalized. I had someone explain it to me. But his dad is named Patrick. Oh, it is. Maybe (laughs) maybe the plot twist. That doesn't really make sense. Um, It was a really good explanation until reality came. You said it, and I said, huh? I was was like, wow. I even did like the woo face. Um, Okay. (laughs) Well, anyways, more research to be done. That Listeners, let us know. Maybe they feel like juniors emasculating. No offense. Um, I maybe- always said being called the second would be a lot more like refined and regal and like 
make me way more proud to introduce it myself. The make, it definitely sounds more rich. <laughs> yes. So there's that. Um, okay. So you got, yeah, like in that range where Philly's not picking, you've got the corners, Sertan the second. Also, Sertan is just like a great, like very refined sounding name. Uh, your JC Horn, um, Caleb Farley's kind of been dropping. And then, you know, you're, you've got Parsons. God knows that they've had some issues at linebacker in the mix there. Um, I would say there's still offensive linemen that I imagine, you know, Philly has had depth issues across their offensive line and that might be looking. And yeah, like the wide receivers, like maybe, I don't think they would take Waddle with Jalen Rager, but, um, shoot again, it all depends on how things shake out. So like, there's still great players for them to take their players who could definitely help them win in the present tense. I just think probably like Philly fans have spent so long thinking about Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts that it's inevitably disappointing, even if it's like the quote unquote right thing to do. Rashawn Slater is probably in this territory too, wouldn't you think, by the way? Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, we thought there were going to be more turnover there with Kelsey and some of those guys. Like we still have kind of the unanswered Mm -hmm. Andre Dillard question uh, out there too. So yeah, I, I would say... I would say that's a position group, though, where based on injury and inconsistent performance, that best available at that spot in a tackle-rich draft, probably the right way to go. And Rashawn, like we said, he's he's probably a guy that's going to come in and be pretty ready to go in most phases right away. Like his, you know, he took this last season off, wasn't at Northwestern, but you go plug on the 2019 stuff and the guy's pretty polished. Yeah, again, like to, for Philly to, like they... I talked a little bit about, I said, you know, the Dolphins kind of left themselves a bit of a, a net holding on to all of those picks, although they traded one of them on Tua. Philly now has a much bigger net because if Jalen Hurts is bad, then this football team will probably be bad. So they'll have a good first rounder and that extra first rounder. Like they'll have ammunition to potentially make a move in next year's draft. Um, it's good business. I I, I, I don't know. I, I saw some Philly fans were disappointed and I get it, but like it does make sense. It's, you know, I think there's a sense of like, oh, what if we're missing out on a generational skill player? And yeah, like if you're missing out on, if Kyle Pitts it falls and he turns out to be Travis Kelsey and you don't get the quarterback next year. Like, yeah, these things, I think this is a perfect example of a trade that we probably won't know if it was the right decision for a really, really long time. But in the present tense, based on what we know about options and timelines, I think it was probably a smart thing for Philadelphia to do. Well, and I think a, a lot of the frustration with Philly fans is also is even if this feels like the right move, I know a lot, at least a lot of the Philly fans, and for some reason ESPN Radio has more Philadelphia sports <laughs> fans per capita than I think any department in our company. It's somewhat alarming, actually, but the frustration seems to always be with Howie Roseman, too. It's like <laughs> kind of what we saw in Cleveland, like you can do all these picks, but then if you don't trust the person that's going out there and executing them, so it becomes true. harder to buy in some of these strategies. That is a really good point. I've seen that. Yeah, there's a lot of anger right now towards Roseman. A lot. A lot of anger, a lot of anger. All right, <laughs> let's end on a happier note. As always, finishing with a few questions for our guest. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. 
Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Fight fans, if you want the best UFC experience, you need ESPN+. Plus. With every pay-per-view event, live fight nights, exclusive originals, and an extensive archive, ESPN Plus delivers. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Mike, we, you know, everyone knows the Panay Sewells and maybe the Rashawn Slaters of the world. I want to start by asking you, just ahead of this draft, is there an offensive lineman that you'd like to spotlight that you enjoy? Oh, so this is great timing after this morning. And again, I mentioned him already, but Lance Zierlein, who works over at the NFL Network, he's based out of Houston. Awesome on O-line stuff. Take a look at Stone Forsyth. But first off, elite <laughs> offensive lineman. Incredible name for an offensive lineman. Florida left tackle. He's 6'9 and does not move like a guy who is that tall. Like he is unbelievable. Go just your introduction to Stone Forsyth. Go put on the 2020 Florida Georgia game and just watch him put the cuffs on Aziz Ojolari, who's Ooh. a great outside linebacker for Georgia. Going to be a highly picked guy. And there might have been one play where Aziz got home in a one-on-one battle with Stone Forsythe. He's going to get credit for all starts at left tackle, but in the game, because I think they had some issues on their right side, they would routinely, just in the middle of a game, move him over to right tackle, and he wouldn't miss a beat. So he's got experience on both sides, which is I cannot stress enough, really hard to come by. And I saw a lot of Florida fans knocking him, saying he wasn't a great run blocker. I saw a guy who scheme versatile, like they did a bunch of gap and zone stuff there. He showed effort in the run game. He was working to the edge of the whistle in a lot of, the, especially the big time matchups, which you know guys get up for. But I saw a lot more there than Florida fans were giving him credit for. And once he gets his mitts on you, it's a wrap. Like when this guy puts the pause on you, you're not going anywhere. He's got one of the best short sets in the draft. So I think as far as tackles outside of like the few top names that we've heard a lot get talked about uh, through the early portion of this draft cycle, I think he's going to be a really interesting one to watch that I, I just really got tuned into as of late. Do we prefer mitts or pause for our linemen? Ooh, I, uh, I'm a big pause fan. Just I, I always think of like Kyle Long, who is now coming back for uh, mm. for the Kansas City Chiefs. But no one ever fit the namesake of their team better. Kyle Long is one of the biggest people I've ever met, and I mm. said looked like an actual bear in a way that was really endearing in Chicago. So <laughs> I would always go pause. Okay, question two. Again, another draft one. I want to ask you. Um, so. I have been wrong about various things, like many people. I'd say most notably Josh Allen, like a lot of people. Uh, who is a prospect that you were wrong about that you feel like you really either over or underestimated? Oh, I mean, this is very easy and very recent. I was very worried about the Tristan Wirfs pick in Tampa Bay. Like, really? I, I, I knew that guy had elite gifts coming out of college. Like That guy's like the boogeyman around the Iowa weight room, the way they talk about the stuff that he did in there. But when I looked and turned on tape all the time, I saw a guy who technically, at a place like Iowa, like Iowa is a trusted offensive line factory, so you're getting good coaching. He just wasn't putting that strength on tape in a way that I trusted on a team that I knew was, hey, we got to win now. We're Super Bowl or bust. And 
I was as wrong as wrong can be. Like, what an unbelievable rookie campaign from that guy in a tackle class that we talked about a lot of big names. And I looked at him and I was like, all right, I'm a little concerned just because of how green I thought he was, but just super duper wrong. Super wrong. Yeah. I mean, gosh, he arguably should have been offensive rookie of the year. Um, hi, my evaluation of him was perfect. No, just kidding. <laughs> all right. Question number three. Um, I just finished season three of Fargo. Excellent. I think season one is still my favorite, but it's very good. Uh, can you give us a TV show recommendation? Yes. So I just started watching, I think it's, uh, Amazon prime TV. Uh, tell me your secrets. Ooh, I, yes, I saw that one. That looks chilling. Yeah, it's so I'm only through a couple of episodes, but it kind of like very true detective vibes. Like it's set in Louisiana. It's got a lot of that Bayou feel to it. Um, it's essentially about a woman who I won't tell you the reasons why, but is in a witness protection program. And there's like, you know, a murder mystery element to it, mm. but just really compelling in the early going hooked me in the first episode. And so I am uh, I am got that one next up on the docket here. Okay, I like that. All right. Question four. Last one before we get to Lenny's question. Um, I mentioned earlier that um, I said it would be unfair to compare Mac Jones to the boat in the Suez Canal. Which player would it be fair to compare to the boat in the Suez Canal? Ooh, this can be a, a good thing. Oh, I was gonna say, I, well, how wait, how can it be a good thing? You know, like I like a like immovable. There's positions where it's good to be. Oh man an immovable object in that spot. Well, God, see, like I want to give Vita Vea his love. Cause I know this is a very Vita Vea friendly podcast, but he's stupid athletic. He'd never get stuck on anything. Like he would be <laughs> in the side of the Suez canal and then immediately pull back out and make some huge play at whatever the nearest neighboring body of water is. So, um, I would go, you know what, who does kind of feel like that coming up is as far as like a stone wall, Trey Smith from Tennessee, like, Mm. Big kid. He's had some health problems during his time there, but he gave me in a couple instances huge Jari Evans lines, like a guy who once he gets the hand in there, he'll walk you back to the line of scrimmage, kind of like it's a run play. So maybe I'll give Trey Smith the uh, the boat in the Suez Canal treatment. Do you think, um, like, what percent of Americans do you think had heard of the Suez Canal before? It's got to be a very low number because I'm not 100% sure I'd heard of the Suez Canal. And bonus points, can't tell you where the hell it is. No clue. Oh, no, still? Oh, it's in Egypt. I can okay. tell you what it looks like next to that little crane and what I put in my <laughs> meme for it. But besides that, I don't have much for you. Oh, we really need to work on geography in this country. Yeah. Um, okay. I drank for five years and ran my head into other people. I have an excuse. <laughs> Dominique always does that to me too. Okay, last question, as always, comes from <laughs> Lenny. Um, ooh, I don't want to ask this one. Okay, I'm going to ask it anyways. This is not nice. Um, he saw me working on a painting of your dog, Hank, and he wants to know if he's that fat in real life. Oh, come on, man. I thought this was a body positive podcast. Oh, man. He didn't you say it was what? a bad thing. You know what? Hank is comfortably thick and he loves himself the way he is. And I am going to, you know, when they go low, go high, not tell everybody about what happened with Lenny at his recent photo shoot. 
Oh, God, we don't need to talk about that. I have sponsors. <laughs> Spinfluencers. Spinfluencers.